The real world of money with Patrick Tempone and Andrew Goss is on. Call now with your money matters at 836-0590, pound 590 for your wireless, and toll free at 1-877-590-KLBJ. Now, here's Patrick Tempone. Welcome back. Round two. Here's a number, 836-0590. Come on in. 836-0590. Don't be shy. 877-590-5525. Don't forget, Andrew is on one radio network every Wednesday between 7 and 8 o'clock. And the way the world is going and the way the world is money going, Andrew, you could probably do a show every day and you'd have stuff to talk about. It is. <laughs> it's pretty amazing, isn't right it? With material. Yeah, a lot of material, boy. Uh, we're going to talk more about uh, the uh, new uh, proposal by the Federal Reserve Bank's Breaking news today, and Henry Paulson, the Secretary of the Treasury, has been on, I guess he's been on television, but I heard him on radio. I can just imagine what's going on on television. Andrew Goss is a 25-year currency historian, been at it a long time. He's an expert on the U.S. monetary system, two books, Secret World of Money, and Uncle Sam Cooks the books, and he understands how this game is played. He can tell you stories about what happened in 1913 at Jekyll Island. You said earlier that when these boys got together, these private bankers, to go to Jekyll Island in 1913 and come up with this scheme, the Federal Reserve Banks, to save everybody, nobody really knew that this went on. I mean, this was a very secret thing. Yeah. The Undersecretary of the Treasury, Pyatt Andrew, actually brought a shotgun and some hunting and fishing gear because that was the cover that they were all going, because it was a hunt club. Oh, yeah. It was a hunt club owned by J.P. Morgan. So... He went, really went along with the ruse, and you know the other guys showed up in their smoking jackets and whatnot, and he actually brought his hunting gear. So mm-hmm. it was, you know, they thought it was funny, and they wrote a little bit about it. But uh, actually, it was Steve Forbes's grandfather, the presidential candidate, B.C. Forbes, his grand, uh, Steve Forbes, his grandfather, uh, Malcolm's father, mm-hmm. who wrote that story, uh, and actually was the only story at the time, and he just happened to catch an inside tip. And went down to the uh, tr- to the rail yards and saw the the train leave, and then wrote a little story about it, which was largely ignored because and, because no one knew exactly what they were going down there for. Mm-hmm. But you know that was like the little gossip gossip sheet of the day. And uh, who were the people that attended uh, the Jekyll Island thing? Well, the main players are Paul Warburg. Paul Warburg. Paul Warburg, who was uh, a German uh, banker mm-hmm. who understood how the central bank system worked, and Nelson Aldrich. And uh, uh, Henry Davidson, Frank Vanderlip from uh, uh, J.P. Morgan's operation. No, Vanderlip family, yes. Capital. Yes. Well, all <laughs> of the, anybody who was anybody, put it that way. Yeah, the big boys. The big boys went down yeah. there and they, you know, hammered out this uh, bill. They actually hammered out two bills in the, in the way that they do. And first they put out one bill and say, oh, that's a terrible bill. Isn't that a terrible bill? Everybody look how bad that bill is. Here's a good bill. And uh, everybody went for the good bill, and it was essentially the same. <laughs> and that bill was essentially what? The Federal Reserve Act. And that said what? Well, it just said that we're going to create a central bank for this nation, and we're going to call it the Federal Reserve Banks, and they're going to hold the gold, and they're going to issue uniform currency throughout the country, and anybody else who does it will get arrested. Did anyone at the time, did the American people have any notion? that this Federal Reserve banking system that they just got together and created on the Jekyll Island 
was in fact owned by private bankers. Well, they didn't go out of their way to make people know that. So <laughs> no, they call it the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve, for goodness sake. It's federal. How can you ask such a question? Mm. Of course it's federal. Don't you see the name there? Federal Reserve. Now, let me ask a very naive question. Did the Congress people and senators of the day know what was up? Well... Oh, do we have any way of knowing? I assure you, those that stayed in town on December the 23rd, 1913, you, you can imagine where everyone else was, right? Oh, you mean this is when this thing passed? Yeah, December 23rd oh, good. Oh, at good. midnight. Oh, good. Oh, I think yes. the forum was like, you know, <laughs> nine guys. <laughs> This is great, man. Everybody else was gone home for You're Christmas. You're kidding me. December no, 23rd, could... midnight, nine midnight. people voted on one of the most important things in the history of this country? Yeah, yeah. Well, My everybody else goodness. had been, you know, pretty much anybody who was a, a troublemaker had been isolated. You had, of course, Charles Lindbergh. He was there? Senior, the aviator's father. Mm -hmm. And you had men like, uh, you know, later that would rail against it, but... Let's just say that at the time, there were just a handful of people. Actually, that was one of the things that uh, the, the guys that were setting up the system said, was that, look, the people that understand how this works, they're going to keep their mouth shut because they're going to make tons of money. And everybody else is too stupid to figure it out, so we'll just run this through and it'll be good. My goodness. And that's what they did. And folks, just think about it. We have been taking down the garden path with our money, and the uh, being diluted and diluted. And well, we don't have any money anymore. Well, I know. I mean, our dollars, whatever these things are. Well, that's what the thing is. That's the problem. <sighs> See, a... We don't know what they are. See, now remember, though. <laughs> I know. In 1913, we knew what $20 gold looked like. Right. And we knew what a silver dollar looked like. And, and there are people hearing this that remember silver dollars. You might not remember $20 gold pieces because that was like 1934. But the silver dollars were around. Heck, you'd get them in Las Vegas until the early 70s. Right out, of the, right out of the slot machines. Sure. Yeah. And so the silver dollar was a well-known commodity. We knew what a dollar was. Well, in the period from 1913 right up until 1929, the Federal Reserve was so fast, they would put the silver dollars and the $20 gold pieces, they would grease them so that if somebody put a $20 bill on the counter, they would get knocked over with a $20 gold piece. If somebody put a silver do uh, paper dollar on the counter, they would get knocked over with a silver dollar. It was like, here's your silver dollar. Here's your $20 gold piece. They built such confidence in the system. And oh, they, oh. I mean, from 1914. That's what the Roaring Twenties were. Until the, all through the Roaring Twenties. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, you know, as Eugene Meyer had set up his duplicate bond scheme in the Second World War, uh, we certainly had uh, the, the idea of creating more paper notes then you had gold or silver to back them up. That was well established. The idea was by getting it all under one roof, if you only issue 10 or 15 or even 20% more, no one will really notice. Yeah, no, what's another 20% over what we really have backing it all exactly. up? Who's going to know? Yeah, who's gonna no know? one comes back to get their $20 gold pieces and their silver dollars. Mm -hmm. In fact, we'll even put some stories out that say that they carry the flu, that uh, Gold and silver coins are dangerous, and you shouldn't handle them because they're dirty. <laughs> and that's what they did, and paper money became all the rage. It was so easy to keep in your pocket. Oh, you're not kidding about the flu thing? I'm very serious. Wow. 
Yeah, the recesses of the coins. You know, the influenza oh, yeah. virus swept the country in the teens. And, and the little ridges? Those little was, ridges? It was a terrible epidemic. And, the, and you know, the, the germs hide in the little ridges on the coins. You get paper money, it's real smooth. It doesn't hold germs. My and you could iron it. So people, <laughs> people got paper money. And remember, the reason Levi Strauss put rivets on the pockets of his jeans is because those silver and gold coins would just tear your pockets off. Yeah. The paper money was convenient, and it was so readily redeemable that people grew to trust it. Mm-hmm. And the Roaring Twenties were given to us because the central bank allowed for the issuance of more money, or paper money, than there was, in fact, gold and silver coins to back them up. So the economy roared. We had plenty of money everywhere. And then with, like, shutting off a spigot, they said, okay, that's it, no more paper money. And now there was not enough gold and silver to back it all up. The crash of 29, the depression of 34. And as the bankers came to the president and said, oh, look at this terrible thing that's happened, there's only one thing to do, and that is make it illegal for them to even ask us for the gold and silver coins, then we won't have to worry about all of this. Oh, that's how that all came down. Exactly how it wow. came down. So, so the Depression was, a, you had said on previous uh, past shows, that the Depression was a planned event. Yeah, in fact, you don't have to listen to me on that. Uh, Milton, uh, what's his name? Milton uh, Friedman. Friedman, right? Yeah, yeah. and uh, Anna Schwartz. Mm-hmm. A couple of uh, prominent economists wrote a great book, A Monetary History of the United States, 1862 to 1929. And they pretty much laid it right on the doorstep of the Federal Reserve. In fact, I read a statement the other day where one of the current Federal Reserve uh, people apologized for it. For the, for the Depression. For the Depression. So yeah, folks, we're sorry we caused the Depression. Think about this. Your mother, your father, your grandfather, they talk about the Depression. It was a planned event. Yeah. By the Federal Reserve Bank. They knew what they were doing. Well, it got us off the gold standard, yeah. which was the first step in that their was, plan. And this is now the people that you're hearing in the news today. Well, their ancestors. They, yeah, their ancestors. The same people, same families, that they want to now regulate all the banks. So, well, let, let's think about this for a minute, though. See, is, the problem in 1934... It's absurd. It's it absurd. is. The problem <laughs> in 1934 absurd. was that they had issued more paper money than they had gold or silver coins to back them up, and so they made it illegal to own gold and silver coins. Fast forward to year 2008, 95% of everything that we call money is an electronic representation of money in a computer screen. Only 5% is printed cash. Hmm. People rush. They have banking regulations that are so strict that if you're caught with more than $10,000, it's as though you've committed a crime. In this environment, does it sound like perhaps we might repeat history? Uh, we have a problem. People are coming to the bank and asking us to turn their electronic money into paper money. We don't have enough paper money. What should we do? We simply outlaw the private ownership of paper money and make everyone use electronic means of transferring their wealth. This, of course, is what our children and grandchildren have to look forward to. And in living in that fishbowl is almost life not wow. living. You're talking about... Just thumbprints doing things, little pieces of plastic, and no more even paper money. Yeah, they have these RFIDs that I wrote about in 1997. Right. And, uh, Spy Chips has recently come out by uh, Dr. Albrecht, I believe. It's a va- fascinating book. Spy On, Chips? Spy Chips, these little RF radio frequency identifying uh, chips that yeah. they embed in various things. And uh, a beacon is looking for them all the time. And every time it sees one, like a ship at sea, you know, it beacon strikes it and it identifies itself hello my name is patrick and i live in dripping springs <laughs> oh this is great man it's like a gattaca you ever see that movie indeed i have wow, that's a, that's some okay andrew goss 
You know, this is all true stuff, folks. He's not making this up, just so you... So this is what... But I don't think it's all got to happen. You know, I, I don't know. I'm just eternal optimist here. I just think we ought to... Just we can change it. I think we can. I think yeah, we're we just. I think we're just throw the bums out, man. Just first, we got to know what it is. Yeah, what it is, and that's what this show is about. My name is Patrick Timpone. His name is Andrew Goss. You can reach him at 800-468-2646, 800-468-2646. I'm going to do a little commercial for Andrew because he's a sponsor on the program, and I'm going to do it by myself. I'm not going to even let him in here. You know why? Because I would just tell you that in I was in New York. About uh, 10, 12, 13 years ago, I was getting ready to uh, go to do a food show, and I was flipped on the television, and uh, there was this guy being interviewed by, I think his name was, uh, I don't know what his name was, Tony Snow, or no, it's Tony, it's Tony somebody, and um, on PBS, and he was talking about the money supply, and this was like, and I, and I just sat down on the bed, I was getting dressed, and I just watched the whole thing, I just go, no, this can't be true, and Andy was just going on and on about it. So I called him up. And uh, got to know him over the years, bought some gold, and became friends. And and uh, ever since I've really begun to understand how this works and still just, just know a little bit, it's just been such a pleasure having his him as a good friend, and I really trust him like my brother. And if so, if you want to buy gold coins, uh, gold and silver coins, American money, this is the man to do it because uh, I trust him, and he's going to take care of you, and he just— he doesn't just make money, you know, he's going to do it right. He's not going to sell you dumb stuff that you don't need for more than what you should pay. He just, that's the way he does business. 800-468-2646 is his phone number. 800-468-2646. It's called SDL. His name is Andrew Goss. Imagine this. The real world of money with Patrick Tempone and Andrew Goss. Call now at 836-0590, pound 590 for your wireless, and toll free at 1-877-590-KLBJ. Andrew's a 25-year currency historian, author of The Secret World of Money and Uncle Sam Cook's The Books, and Dave has a question. Hi, Dave. Okay. Yeah, you're just talking about your gold, but... Theoretically, since 1933, FDR knocked down. You cannot own gold bullion. So you hear all these guys talking about owning gold. It's a piece of paper. What's going to stop government from tightening up a piece of paper and you've lost everything? And then you talk about buying a gold coin. A $20 gold piece is still a $20 gold piece. How does it, how does it reflect on value? Do you follow what I'm saying? I mean, when you own the only tangible gold or silver you can own is a gold coin, so you've got to know collector status. Is that correct? Well, yes and no. Like, for example, a, a 1964 Kennedy half dollar okay. is .36169 ounces of silver. So you take the current spot price of silver times .36169, and now you have a silver value for that coin. Let's say it's $7.10 today. Okay. But you can buy it for $7.25, and you can sell it for $7.05. And that's really a coin that's based strictly upon its silver content. But that's a loss of 20 cents if you were to buy it and sell it. But, I mean, if you're talking about holding on for long term. So what is this? I mean, what, I know that's what gold's about. But, okay, the $20 gold piece you're talking about, mm-hmm. what is that worth today? Well, if you go, again, to the low end of the scale, a coin that was actually used as money that has no numismatic value because – as we were saying about the other coin, if you have a coin that's perfect, like the day it was made at the Mint, 
it's going to sell for a premium above and beyond its gold content. In the case of a $20 gold piece today, 0.9615 ounces of gold, same thing. You can buy a low-grade circulated coin for about $30 over its actual gold content. And you can buy an uncirculated coin, a low-grade uncirculated coin, for a couple of hundred dollars over its actual gold content. But a coin that's nearly perfect is going to be 10 times its gold content or 20 times its gold content. And people are willing to pay for that, and that's why it's worth so much? Yeah, I was watching the Barrett-Jackson auto auction today, and I saw somebody pay $125,000 for a perfect 1964 Corvette. Hmm. That's a lot of money, to be sure. But to some people, that's cheap. And the same is true of gold coins, American gold and silver coins. Now, here's one point, though, for the caller. Don't ever trust the guy that's selling you the coin. Yeah. To be the guy that tells you it's a perfect coin. <laughs> sure. <laughs> now, it's, it's, it's like, everything's buyer beware, just like your 64 Corvette. If yep. you don't know if it's a matching number, so on and so forth, to bring it to Barrett Jackson and all that. You got it. But still, the thing is, though, as far as, like, if you're going to buy gold, the best thing would be buy the coin and not a piece of paper. Absolutely be- right. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a, yeah uh, no question about it. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people buying uh, gold options and contracts and futures, and they're buying gold on the electronic exchanges through GLD and SLV, and ultimately all of them are paper representations of the actual gold coin. And the caller is correct. That requires responsibility. You have to defend and protect that gold coin because if somebody takes it from you, well, then they have your money. And it's Henry. You're on KLBJ. Yes. Uh, Goss. Speak up, Henry. Uh, Yes, uh, uh, Tim. Uh, I got a question for Mr. Goss. Okay. Yeah. About uh, the currency. Looks like it's uh, the old greenback is being, by design, kind of thrown down the tubes here lately. Uh, What do you see around the corner as far as currency? Are they going to go with a regional currency or are they going to go straight to a European currency or something? Well, see, here's the thing. If you took a current dollar, and you went back in a time machine to 30 years ago, mm-hmm. and you told a person that, uh, you know, one day we're going to be paying $5 for a cup of coffee 30 years from now. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be paying $125,000 for that Corvette over there that, mm-hmm. you know, you could buy for $5,000. Right. Uh, it would have seemed absurd. And so just as I sit today and tell you that 20 or 30 years from now, they'll be paying two hundred and fifty or 300000 for the Corvette and 15 or $20 for the cup of coffee, that is not a collapse. That is not a disintegration. That is not a total change to another currency because this one is kaput. No, that's just a slow, steady eating away of the substance of money so that you can deprive people of what they've worked and saved for a lifetime. Exactly. It's undercutting, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They don't have to crash it out, especially not when it's electronic. So what do you care if it, you know, you don't have to carry the wheelbarrows of money around. You just carry your little plastic card around, and and it transfers the units. So it doesn't matter. There's no limit now to the amount that can be created. And the bankers are actually reveling in that fact. Right. Well, isn't that what happened to Germany after World War I and before Hitler? You had to carry a wagon load of bills to buy a loaf of bread. That's right. And people were still buying loaves of bread with Mm. those wagon loads of of money. But it was just uh, that sort of uh, logistical problem that made it doggone inconvenient. Hey, Henry and and Andy, check it out. Zimbabwe 
Rhodesia, yeah. 100,000% inflation, yeah. five kilos of maize this week, which is 11 pounds of corn. Uh-huh. You know how much it costs? Four million? A hundred million dollars. Oh, they've had real oh, inflation. A hundred, <laughs> 11 pounds of corn, a hundred million dollars. Zimbabwe, yeah, I, I read a book some years back. <laughs> Zimbabwe, yeah. It explained the, the, the rate of inflation like that, yeah. Isn't that wild? You can imagine two years earlier, uh, some poor person sold his house for $100 million and thought he was getting something. Henry, right. what, did, what did you pay for your first house? Do you remember? Oh, it was uh, way up there, something like $5,300. <laughs> <laughs> when, when was that? Back in uh, 1955, I believe it was. Yeah, $5,300. And yeah. what were you earning for a day's work then? Well, um, my dad, of course, is the one that signed you know, the note on that. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, when I started working, I thought I was doing pretty good for about, I think it was a dollar and a quarter an hour. Right. So now imagine that you you worked and you, sa- and you saved half your money. You convinced the wife that we're going to not live too high on the hog. We're going to take half of our money and put it in the bank, which is half mm-hmm. of every day's work got put in the bank. Right. And that can all be bought now for, what, a penny on the dollar? You got that right. So it's yeah. like your whole life's work was reduced in value according to how much money was put into circulation. If this is not the most perfect system of slavery, I mean, you can understand why they abolished slavery, because not so much because it was a, a, the moral thing to do, but because, hey, we don't need it anymore. We've right. got a much better system now. Yeah, because they put it in there, and it winds up kind of, the Bible says, the moths will get to it just sitting there. That's absolutely right. Thanks, Henry. <laughs> All right, you take care. The Real World of Money with Patrick Tempone and Andrew Goss. Call now at 836-0590, pound 590 for your wireless, and toll free at 1-877-590-KLVJ. I recommend Andrew's uh, two books, The uh, Secret World of Money, and Uncle Sam Cooks the Books. You can get that by calling his office at... Eight hundred four six eight two six four six, and very soon when we launch our uh, podcast portion of our website at oneradionetwork.com, dot com, Andrew's going to offer you two books and his newsletter as a kind of bonus for signing up with us. So thanks for that, Andrew Goss. In fact, that's going to be the exclusive place where you can get the book, so I'm going to let you worry about it. <laughs> oh, good. Well, the, thank you. That's a cool thing. Andrew's a 25-year currency historian, and he's a recognized expert in the U.S. monetary system. Well, Andrew, food is is uh, rising against the dollar, right? Uh, oh, the dollar, food, yeah. Or the dollar is falling Not against... rising against gold. Yeah. The, the dollar is falling against food prices. There right? you go. Yeah. The dollar is falling against food prices. People are really feeling it, uh, 25% for eggs and things like this. And then $400 billion in the past month was created, which is adding to this idea of the dollar losing value. And this $400 billion was created to help out the financial institutions pretty much? Yeah, to provide liquidity. You know, they've created, remember that money is debt. So if you create too much debt and not enough money, why then you need more money. Mm-hmm. And that's what's uh, happened in every instance. And in this instance where we let the hedge funds and the corporations run wild, creating debt in the form of uh, bonds and notes and structured investment vehicles and collateralized debt obligations. There's just so many different vehicles of debt and not enough money to pay them all off. Is this going to continue 
with more, I mean, generous, generous amounts of new money being created? Uh, that's the only way out. Uh, it, it's, there are one or two choices here. Two, one or two. Uh, one is this, you know, create money every time you need it and just put it into circulation and bite the bullet. And the other is Nancy Reagan's solution. You know, just say no. No more money. That's all we have. You've got to deal with this supply. Now, if they just say no, interest rates go to 21%, the dollar falls completely apart. I can't imagine. The entire system seizes up. It's a, that's the depression that everyone uh, talks about. That's the Tawakawi, right? The end of the world as we know it. Uh, because financially, you cannot conduct commerce. Uh, the entire system freezes up. The survivalists will tell you this is why you need uh, gold and silver bullion or coins or bars or little grains so that you can conduct business, so that you can go to the farmer and trade your silver for but, wheat. But you don't see this happening. Where's the profit there? Yeah. I, I, if somebody could show me how the bankers can make money from that, yeah, okay, I might actually listen. Hmm. But see, the system, the way they have it structured, makes much more sense, especially every electronic transaction has a middleman. The credit card company, the issuer company, gets to keep about 1.5%. You know, what they call a haircut is take a little shave off of every single transaction, and that's very profitable. Uh, if people can't use that system anymore, it's not very profitable at all. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's what I believe, so, that they're going to take the profitable route. To uh, just continue to increase the money supply, what, doing whatever it takes to kind of keep the, the musical chair game going. Yeah, it doesn't matter how many chairs you have. Right. What matters is, is the music going to keep playing? And as long as the music keeps playing, as long as the Federal Reserve private bankers continue to inflate the monetary system... Then you don't need any chairs. Then anything that we buy will continue to look like those prices are going up when it's really the value of the dollar is going down. Yeah, pretty soon we're just circling around the room wondering, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that going on right now? Playing and we're just walking around in a circle. I mean, will people ever get it, though? Well, they haven't gotten it yet. I mean, how, how long, what will it take, I wonder? Well, and this is the interesting thing. That, of course, a lot of people get it. A lot of our callers get it. Oh, but, yes, and uh, that's what I mean. Those of us who do get it, mm -hmm. many secretly wish that there would be a crash. Right. Why? Yeah, yeah. That way they could tell their neighbors and their friends and their parents and their brothers and sisters, see, I told you so. Uh, I told you this was going to happen. Oh, so that's why do you think that many people that understand the system, they, they talk about this, quote, crash, unquote, quote, because they really want to see it happen so so they're validated for knowing that this well, thing's Well, no, that would, that would be very selfish. But let's just say okay. that if such a crash were to occur, Patrick, right. we could easily organize a million-man march on Washington. Oh, yeah, you could do it in a heartbeat. We could raise a militia overnight. You could take the bums out of there. Just, Absolutely. just move them, move them out. You convinced them that you got to get rid of these guys. <laughs> just so move them out. We could mobilize. I bet the voting rates would increase dramatically. Yeah. So the, so the, that's that's evidence right there that the boys, the people, they're never going to allow it to Well, crash, that's right. I think. Not, wait, listen. Why would it, they? Well, if it's difficult. But how difficult is it to sit at a keyboard and create $200 billion? Yeah, I mean, what, what's stopping them? Nothing. <laughs> I mean, what's stopping them? And now they want to, in the news today, the Federal Reserve wants to do massive new controls over everything. Right. I mean, so that's probably why they're doing it, because maybe more and more people are waking up. Oh, they're going to fix this problem, boy. <laughs> now, you know, in prior, uh, yeah. to 19, prior to 1980, Patrick, we did have very strict uh, controls on the Federal Reserve. 
prior to 1980? Yes, we did. Mm-hmm. Now, in fact, they weren't allowed to regulate anything. They regulated themselves. And the only thing that they could turn into money was a federal bond. So Congress had to issue a bond, and then that would be considered good money, and the Federal Reserve then had the power to create money out of thin oh, air. So Congress had to appropriate an expenditure, create a bond, and they could create money then before 1980. Before 1980, the only yeah. thing they were authorized to monetize or to print, you know, they only mm-hmm. uh, create money in response to a debt instrument. Okay. So the only debt instrument that they were allowed to monetize or turn into money mm-hmm. was a federal obligation. Between before 1980, and then in 1980, it was the... Monetary Decontrol Act. Monetary Decontrol Act. And what did that say? That said, well, you could turn, well, let's think about it. How about anything into money? <laughs> anything. How about anybody's debt instrument? It doesn't just have to be the government. It can be anybody's debt instrument. And so then we had all of these agency bonds created. Now government was free to create agencies which would shield it from a certain amount of liability. I mean, many people are completely unaware that each of these agency municipal bonds that they've taken a liking in, be it the Washington Power Supply or the New Jersey Turnpike or the local airport authority, none of them have the implicit backing of the federal government, none of them, or of their state governments, none. So they can be defaulted upon one at a time without eliciting the bailout of the taxpayer, So these agency bonds now can be turned into money as well as the bonds of Joe's Corporation and the bonds of a foreign country and the bonds of a a junk hedge fund set up in the Cayman Islands. It doesn't Mm -hmm, matter. mm -hmm. And if Patrick goes to the bank and gets $400,000 for a home, and I... I, Well, then he's got to bring every paper he ever had, including his third-grade report card. But then I sign a note saying, I owe you $400,000. And then the bank takes that to the Fed, and they monetize that for four hundred. That's right? a debt instrument. Yeah, they take. That. Well, what they do is they bundle them together, mm-hmm. hence the collateralized mortgage obligations. Now, to be fair, a certain percentage of those have had problems as interest rates rose because some people didn't buy money to buy their house; they rented money. And you know, when you rent money, sometimes the landlord raises the rent, and so as their rent on their money went up, now they couldn't afford to make their house payments. And so now their obligations went bad, and the people who have bought. So this is that subprime problem that mm-hmm. we've heard so much about. Mm-hmm. Okay. We uh, have another break, and then we're going to take some more calls. So those of you on hold, uh, hang right there. And my name is Patrick Timpone. And so it goes. We talk with Andrew every Wednesday on OneRadioNetwork.com. And as you can tell, there's always stuff to, to talk about. And my theory is the more that we learn about it, the better off we figure out how to deal with all of this. And it's very, very critical information, folks. This is the real deal, man. This is it. Wildflower Organics has been a sponsor of our program since, well, gosh, I think it's going on almost 10 years now. The Real World of Money with Patrick Tempone and Andrew Goss. Call now at 836-0590, pound 590 for your wireless, and toll free at 1-877-590-KLVJ. There you go, 25-year currency historian Andrew Goss, Patrick Timpone, and we're going to do a little thing here in Westlake. Hi, Travis. Hey, guys. Hi. Hey, uh, speak right up. This is the best show you've ever done. 
It's really been uh, kind of chuck full of things tonight, I've, hasn't I've it? I've listened to you guys for years on this. Uh, I've been a 30-year student of, of this particular subject, and what I was wanting to ask uh, Andrew, right now, I don't think I've ever seen uh, this country, and I'm fairly old. I've been around a long time, almost as long as Patrick there, but <laughs> I, I, I don't think I've ever seen as much upheaval in the country as I'm looking at right now. And uh, the banking system... Uh, is really in uh, it's in a bad shape. I was in in. What happened to him? Well, we just dropped off. I don't know what happened. I'm so sorry. It just dropped. Call back and we'll, we'll get you on. I'm so sorry. I don't know how that happened. Let's go to uh, Bill. Hi, Bill. Hello. Uh, go ahead. Oh uh, yeah, I heard a rumor that in the near future the government's going to outlaw owning gold for the general public. I was just wondering what his take is on that. Well, they've done that before, and they may make uh, certain restrictions on the ownership of gold bullion. But I would say that before they do, you're going to get plenty of warning. I think the new restriction would be the amount of money that you can take out of the bank on any given day. Um, That, I think, is is more likely a restriction before you see gold confiscation. Hmm. Okay. All right. Not out of the realm. They've done it before. Charlie, you're on KLBJ with Andrew Goss. For that other gentleman who dropped off, call us back real quick. We have time to get you back on. I don't know what happened. Go ahead. Well, we lost Charlie there. 836-0590. Chris, you got a couple more coming in. I I came across a a quote here, Andrew, by by John Maynard Keynes. (laughs) (laughs) There is no subtler... No sure means of overturning the existing basis of society than to, than to debauchment of the currency. Absolutely right. And the process engages all the hidden forces of economic laws on the side of destruction, and it does it in a manner which not one in a million is able to diagnose. There it is. Wow. When did he say that? 1932. 32. Yes. God uh, no, bless Excuse him. me. That's the consequences of the piece. Yeah, that would have been... Uh, 27, something like, geez, I need to really dust my copy off. So I guess... The year it was printed. I guess he's one of your heroes, eh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, he's uh, he's the guy on the other side. I put him in the uh, squarely in the camp of uh, the Keynesian economics uh, uh, idea that you can create money out of thin air and that you don't need any substance backing it up. Hmm. Lenny, you're on KLBJ. Yeah, hi there. Hi. I just uh, really appreciate what you're doing, and um, do I have a reason to be frightened? No. No, because you're learning, and if you'll learn, you know, obviously if you come to the football game and you're wearing baseball clothes, you might get hurt. <laughs> but if you come knowing that there's going to be a football game and, you know, you got your padding and your helmet and you're ready to go, you'll be all right. And this is the the real lesson here is that by taking steps to educate yourself, uh, there's no need to worry. Well, in a couple minutes we have remaining, Lenny, stay on the line. Give him some ideas how he can get the padding on and, and protect himself. Well, I mean, we caught the commercial there for J.P. Mortgage. I'm not, I have nothing to do with that firm, but as they pointed out, interest rates are at their very lowest point now and will perhaps at even lower. So money is available for your debt instrument. If you use a debt instrument to then create wealth for yourself through the purchase acquisition of a place to live or tools to improve your trade or skills to improve your knowledge or uh, any tangible physical item if you have excess money, these are all good things for individuals to do. No question in the short term, folks, put in a pantry for goodness sakes. 
get out there and make sure that you have enough food to take care of your family for four to six weeks. It's no big deal. Yeah. What do you say, Lenny? Well, it sounds like, you know, I don't like to panic. I'm 63 years old, and, you know, I think come and go, go but, you know, I, I've never seen a financial situation that like we're in now. Either that or I have a really short memory. Well, we've had them before. If you remember the oil crisis, which was really the gold crisis of the 70s, if you're in your 60s, you remember those horrendous yeah. gas lines, shortages of food, and uh, the dollar losing value on a daily basis. And we had the same crowd of doomsayers running around then. It was uh, yeah. Howard Ruff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there were others, of course. But, you know, these people thought that the end of the world was coming just the next month. And we made it through 1980 and through the 1990 and through the year 2000. And I know it's not pleasant now, but we'll get through this as well. So don't don't think the end of the world is coming next week, although you never know when the Lord's going to decide to reappear. <laughs> well, I, I'm fortunate enough to not have to live through the Great Depression, but my parents did. Yeah. And, you know, I know that uh, there's some uh, safeguards in place that our, our government, who's supposed to be us, has put in place to prevent that from happening again. Right. But I don't have a lot of faith in our government, which is supposed to be us. Well, uh, well you have faith in profit, though. And yeah. those that run the system, they want to be able to hire a pool guy. They want to be able to enjoy life and make sure that there are plenty of servants out there who will work. <laughs> And yeah. you can't ha- you can't have that with Hoovervilles. There's no fun hiding in your mansion, uh, you know, because everybody wants to kill you. You'd be much better off enjoying life, and that's what they want to do. And for them to do that, we have to be happy, and so they'll keep us happy. Yeah. Well, I'm also worried about the fact that we're mortgaging everything to the Chinese. Well, I wouldn't that, worry too much accurate? about that because you think about it in these terms: the Chinese, all of the money that they're holding has gone down about uh, 40% in value for the last three years. Hmm. So in reality, we're actually taxing them for their portion of the ownings of the Federal Reserve System. When are they going to catch on to this? Uh, Well, they've already caught on. (laughs) They recognize, believe it or not, whoever's currency is the weakest wins. Hmm. I talk to people in Colorado who tell me that their Europeans are skiing their, their hills out there. They're spending more money than they ever have before. Uh, the streets of New York are filled with foreign shoppers. I've been reporting this for months. Who fly to New York and do their shopping and then fly back to Europe because it's cheaper. Yep. All right, Lenny, thanks for the call. Andrew, thank you, sir. My yeah, pleasure. Boy, we had a great time tonight. Indeed. Great time. We'll see you soon, Andrew Goss. Indeed. See you Wednesday. Bye-bye. Wednesday night on One Radio Network at 7 p.m., OneRadioNetwork.com. We'll talk to Andrew once again. And Kenny Romar is next. Hope you enjoyed yourself. My name is Patrick Timpone. Take care of yourself. One station.